Hey, everybody. Thanks, as always, for tuning into Front Row Knowles. KJ and I can't thank you enough for continuing to listen as we get into, I think, our 10th year of Front Row Knowles. Also, a special thanks to Seminole Boosters, who continues to support the program. The schedule is out. Quick reminder, your ticket and priority renewal deadline is April 18th. Great schedule, great optimism, great excitement about what's ahead in 2023. None of it's possible without Seminole Boosters. So to those of you who are members, thank you. To those of you who are not, log on to SeminoleBoosters.com to learn more. And now, Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Good day, everybody. Tom and Keith with you. This is Front Row Knowles. KJ, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I was, I was hopefully looking forward to talking about uh, some baseball and maybe a little bit of a winning streak, but Link can't care, catch a break anywhere, can he? Weather got in the way. We were gunning for two in a row on Tuesday, but uh, alas, that game with Stetson got rained out. And so, well, you know, uh, on the bright side, it's still a one-game winning streak that lives uh, into the weekend when he returns to South Bend and Notre Dame. But uh, we've not talked much baseball. We're not going to necessarily do that tonight either. We're going to talk football. The draft is this week. We're going to talk football because some rules changes have been announced. We're going to talk football because Florida State has lost somebody of significance in the transfer portal. And we're going to talk football because the SEC is proposing a crazy, crazy rule, Keith. I think we'll start there. So the portal talk, we'll get to Bob Ferrante, our Osceola insider coming up. We'll talk about Joshua Farmer entering the transfer portal and what that could mean for Florida State or what it does mean. But, Keith, did you get a load of what the SEC has uh, tossed out there as a potential punishment for schools if their fans rush the field? Or the, or I don't know if it's the court as well. Maybe it is. But certainly the field uh, to celebrate a football win. The, the the stories that I read included the court, so that could be basketball, obviously. Um, for our listeners that aren't aware, uh, the, the proposal, I guess, I, I don't even think it's a formal proposal, it's just been talked about, is that uh, if your fans do storm the field, then the next time you're scheduled to play that opponent at your home stadium, you will automatically have to play that at the away stadium, at the opponent's stadium. And my first reaction is, A, um, the commissioner obviously is going to have to make the determination because that does that mean 10 people or 10,000 people? What, you know, who's got the counter? How, how many people does it take to, to rush a field and count? And secondly, I suspect being around students as I am, there's a number of students that would do it just to say they did it, just so when they were graduating, they'd go to the other school and see what their stadium looks like. So I don't even know how you would enforce it. Well, then you have the imposters who would dress like the home team to rush the field just to incur the penalty for their rival, right? So again, that's think, another you know, this option. Would not, this would not apply to FSU Florida, folks, because that's not an SEC conference game. Uh, but let's take Florida, South Carolina. And Florida's had some tough times of late, right? So they get a win over South Carolina at home, and the fans rush the field in the swamp to celebrate. And the reward for that celebration is that now they have to go to Columbia the next three consecutive years 
because they've lost the home game that they would have every two years in Gainesville, right? Am I understanding this correctly? That's the understanding. But again, I go back to my point. The students that will be in the stadium on that given day aren't going to have to travel to South Carolina for the next game should they choose to because it will be four years away in that example. Yeah. And they'll be gone. And, and I like the idea. I mean, I, I applaud the thought process uh, because I, I've been a, a big proponent. Um, you know, when, when Florida State's basketball started getting good and, and we'd upset Duke when they were number one or number two in the country or we'd whip North Carolina at the Tucker Center, you know, I had people climbing over the broadcast desk. I got kicked in the head. I mean, it was not a pleasant experience. Very happy, very joyful, but not a pleasant experience. And someone getting injured, someone being severely injured is obviously a concern. I don't think this is the answer, but I do applaud the thought process. Maybe bad ideas will lead to good ideas. Well, that's what you like to say. I mean, to be fair, we do need to point out that Florida State's last home football game, the fans rushed the field. Now, again, this is an SEC proposal, not an ACC. But uh, and, and that was panned by Florida fans. FSU folks said it wasn't a beat, about beating UF. It was about just having a good season and feeling like we're, uh, we're headed back in the right direct, direction and all that. I, I just find it interesting. It's uh, I don't I don't know. To, to your point, you've been there on the basketball court when it's happened. I, I've been on the field of every school in the ACC, save for Duke, when they've rushed the field against FSU when they finally beat them. And I I think that's a true statement as I think about it. Duke's never beaten FSU, so it hasn't happened there, right? Right. Uh, what, I tell you what we'll do. We'll get we'll get our uh, Osceola insider Bob Ferrante, and uh, we'll talk Florida State with him. But we'll get his. His read on this, talk about the rules changes, uh, do that and much more when we continue right after this on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom Block, Keith Jones, and we're joined by our Osceola insider, Bob Frante, as we open up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. All right, Bob, I, I know we have portal news to talk about, but Keith and I spent the first segment debating the merits of this proposed SEC rule that if your fans rush the field, the penalty is pretty doggone severe to lose a home game. I mean, you could, as much television revenue and dollars as each school is getting in the SEC, you could make it a $5 million penalty, maybe not $5 million. $2 million, though, would be a better penalty, I think, than losing a home game. What do you, what do you think about this proposal if, that, uh, if your fans rush the field, hey, so long for playing that opponent at home for till four years from now? And Jim Phillips may petition the SEC to say, look, if you guys want to give up the home game revenue, just give the ACC some money because the ACC could use some revenue of its own. Um, hey, I... I Look, I, I like when fans get excited and storm the field, maybe not tear down the goalpost and then throw it in the river excited. That's That might be a little too much. But I do think there is something to say about fan safety and what's the liability for a university when fans go on the field and then they are injured. Um, I, I do think we saw there were some fans injured at the Florida State Florida game in November. I believe one of the members of the band was was inadvertently pushed down and, and had to receive some medical attention. I'm sure there were some specific others 
that was just one that I happened to see, you know, underneath the stadium. So is this a real issue? Yeah. Um, in the name of safety. Um, I think you don't want to take away that fan experience, that moment of that jubilation of, I want to get down on the field and feel like, Hey, I'm on the field and I'm celebrating that night because we heard from a ton of Florida state fans about that specific win over Florida. That meant something as far as how far the program had, had come. So I get where fans are coming from, but I think also at the same time, you know, the SEC is just looking overall at a, at a broader safety measure. And I think I get where they're coming from. Yeah. We talked about it, Bob, and you know, I haven't processed it uh, for, for a, a length of time, but you know, my, my first reaction is I don't like, I like the fact that they're talking about it. I like the fact that it's an idea. Uh, but to use the phrase I use way too much, I'm afraid this is a bad idea, but hopefully a bad idea will lead to a good idea. Something does need <laughs> to be done. I'm just not sure this is the thing to do. Well, you know, I mentioned the, the monetary penalty. There is a monetary penalty now, right? But it's like 50 grand or something that on a hundred. I think it's 250, million, I think. 250. But even that's not significant to these uh, schools. Right. On a $150 million budget, like it feels like, I, I'm making up figures, but the average SEC home game revenue is certainly for the top half of the league is going to be three or four or five million on a home game. So what if you upped it to a million? That would probably be enough for you to uh, maybe hire some more officers and security to to work the stadium so that fans didn't rush the field. I mean, I don't know. I just uh, meanwhile in the in the ACC we have Clemson who allows its fans on the field after every game, win or lose. Now. I feel like that process has gotten a little bit better and that they try to let the, the visiting team get off the field first. And then it's more of a walk on the field, not hop over everything and, and madly rush the field, but still it's, it's sort of the opposite of what the sec is going after here, Bob. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, the Clemson argument might be fans always know they're going to have the opportunity to be on the field. Thus the rowdiness is not there. It doesn't exist because you know you're going to have that opportunity to celebrate with with family and friends and say you're a parent or a relative of a player you get that chance to be on the field to take pictures take video you you don't feel that need to storm and then you know perhaps take down the goalpost like what happened at Tennessee i i do think in part this is idea season for college football administrators we're coming up on the SEC meetings the ACC meetings will be in Amelia Island, you know, May 15th through 17th. You know, they have a solid two plus days of meetings. So I think we're into that point where a lot of ideas start to leak out, maybe intentionally. You know, you know maybe somebody's kind of trying to float this in the media to say, hmm, I wonder what kind of feedback we get from from boosters and fans. And, and then they kind of can get some some thoughts on how that measure might really impact people if they decide to implement it so yeah i think we're in idea season and we'll kind of see what sticks what these conferences want to do all right let's move it closer to home in florida state bob where uh on tuesday florida state fans uh, officially learned that the portal giveth and the portal taketh away because i think this we'd agree is the the most significant player so far to enter the portal for Florida State. Well, maybe uh, you, you put McClendon in there at defensive end, but this is this is the kind of player, and I'm talking about Joshua Farmer, that you don't want in the portal given how much upside is out there. Uh, do you think he's firmly in there? Is this out there fishing to see if he can get more collective dollars and stay at FSU? 
Does this indicate there's several schools tampering and telling him how much he can get if he uh, comes to their school and changes uniform? Uh, what what think you? <laughs> I think this is part of that that unfortunate revolving door part of the transfer portal act. I think most fans would like to see more guys wanting to come to Florida State and think that you know the retention aspect should be there after a ten win season, and that this is a young star who's got playing time. He's got opportunities. I've argued that at defensive end and defensive tackle and, and KJ, you tell me if I'm, if I'm crazy, if I'm wrong here, but you rotate, you rotate so many guys, you know, John Papucha said you want five defensive ends, for example, Odell, I think would say he wants four, maybe even more to rotate. So who starts is not really that important to me because you're going to get significant reps and you're going to get that opportunity to make the most of every rep. And that's, that's on film. That's on film for scouts and NFL folks. And it's your opportunity to win games because you have that depth. You know, Mike Norvell said before the spring, the national champion, Georgia, was a team that won because of its defensive front, that depth, that talent, that strength, what they were able to do as far as dictating the line of scrimmage. So specifically, what's going on? I think for the moment, we're left to speculate. Could he return to Florida State? I, I think that door is still open. Although I think I think in reality, he's going to move on. It's really unfortunate because I think what's best for Josh Farmer is honestly to stay. You know, he's got a good friend in Daryl Jackson. He's got Corey Fuller, his old high school coach on staff at Florida State. Odell Hagens might be the best defensive tackle coach in the country, at least the one with the most longevity. And, and a ton of guys he's put in the NFL. And then you look at just the opportunity to play. So if this is a pure NIL money grab short term, you know, good for Josh. He can he can have that opportunity. But I'm not sure there's a better long-term opportunity out there. And and you know, pick whatever school you might have heard as a rumor where he could go, where he might be thinking they're gonna have an opportunity for him, but I'm not sure there's a better fit a better fit for Josh Farmer. So I think that's what kind of frustrates me and maybe some Florida State fans specifically about this particular portal entry. And we can talk about a Brennan Gant, a Stephen Dix. Those are guys who maybe have better fits elsewhere, maybe have better opportunities to play as they kind of look at the backside of their college careers. With Farmer, it's, it's kind of one of those head scratchers of, I don't understand the why beyond the potential of there may be more money elsewhere. Well, the other aspect of it, and I don't know the youngster, uh, but it's been a fear of mine since this was announced, is strictly the immaturity, not being able to process, look, I don't have to be a starter. I don't have to take 60 snaps. I get 45 snaps in a ball game at Florida State in a system that I do well. The NFL will find me. That's what they do. And I can go somewhere else and get 80 snaps and not have as good a tape because I'm fatigued or I don't fit well in the system or I'm learning it. I've been here for a year or two. I know what's expected. I go somewhere else. I got to relearn. You can, it's one thing when you're dating about appreciating and loving a coach. And it's another thing when you play for him and in that aspect, all of that revolves around what I refer to as immaturity. Maybe there is some other situation. Maybe there's something that comes out. Maybe there's something we'll never know. 
But that's the thing that frustrates me and continues to frustrate me about the entire portal is you're putting 18, 19, 20, 21 year olds in this in the in the place of having to make decisions that have an unbelievable material impact. And candidly, they are just not mature enough to make those decisions. And I think to your point, you know, how many NFL scouts will be in Tallahassee or will be following the Florida State point this year because Jared Verse, Fabian Lovett, Daryl Jackson, name name your name of guys, Trey Benson, Johnny Wilson, Jordan Travis, all of them are going to be playing for Florida State. There are going to be many more scouts following the Seminoles just because of the collection of talent. And you know what? They're easily going to see other guys as they're watching. They're going to be pouring over that film on Saturdays when they're in the stadium or when they're you know dissecting it, say, Sunday or Monday as, as scouts and then cross-checking what their various scouts around the country are seeing. I, I think you have to question where is he going to go and he's going to have that profile to still make as big of an impact. I, I would honestly question too, if he's looking at as this is year three, this is my money year, I want to make it to the NFL draft after year three, then okay, but you have to really really show out in your one year where you are rolling the dice on yourself are you going to have that opportunity at another school and I, I just again I don't see it he, he may not find an easier depth chart to have that opportunity again where all of these people will be watching Florida State a top 10 program potentially a playoff program they're going to be playing LSU and Clemson right off the bat there are opportunities for a guy like a Josh Farmer to show out and whether you're two defensive tackle, whether you're starting, whether you're backup, you're gonna get great reps. So again, this is this is the head scratcher. This is what I don't think we don't love about the transfer portal. KJ, I know you don't love it. Love it for guys like Zane Heron. Zane Heron's gonna go find a home somewhere and he's gonna say, you know what, I loved Florida State, but I couldn't play there. Now I get my chance to go play college ball. That's where I love the transfer portal for guys like a Zane Herring a Stephen Dix, et cetera. For a Daryl Jackson, I just think to myself, what kind of advice are you getting? You know, who is honestly giving you the best advice for your future, for your next you, you, you mean Joshua 10, Farmer. 20 years? Josh you Farmer. I, sorry. Sorry. I mean, who is giving Josh Farmer the best advice possible? And and to some extent, I would say, well, Corey Fuller is on staff and now he's biased. But Corey's his high school coach. He's known him a long time. There is the chance for a guy right there to give you great advice. And if he chooses to ignore it, so be it. But I, I think what we're all seeking is that why. What is the why as far as how you view your future? Wasn't there, so Daryl Jackson is his buddy, and I know we don't know about his waiver situation yet, Bob, but didn't Daryl Jackson, what, wasn't there a weekend before school started that he was potentially back in Coral Gables looking for more NIL dollars. And then he ended up, I, I mean, maybe this is wishful thinking that Joshua Farmer's trying the same thing here. I don't know, but, or am I just hallucinating and making that up? I think it was a social media storm and it might've been Daryl Jackson posted something on Twitter or Instagram or whatnot. And, and that's where it kind of, you know, flared up. I think we're going to have this kind of, I don't you know, these off seasons where there's uncertainties over what a young man or young woman wants to do with their life. And I think we're purely speculating here, but 
is somebody saying, I'm worth more than the NIL that I have at a school? Am I in position to earn more potentially? That's a big question. I don't know. I don't have an answer for it. But I think that's sort of the Pandora's box of, of where we are with the portal, with NIL. And it's an open window. So a lot of people are thinking about their opportunities and what's next. Along with Bob Ferrante is our Osceola insider. So Joshua Farmer into the portal, along with several other Knowles. What we haven't heard about thus far is uh, more guys coming into Florida State via the portal. We'll get uh, Bob's thoughts uh, or an update on that right after this on Front Row Knowles. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Welcome back. Tom and KJ continuing our conversation with Bob Ferrante on the Earl Bacon Agency Hotline or via the Earl Bacon Agency Hotline. All right, Bob, so... Uh, you know, I find it interesting. Uh, Florida State's done so well in the portal. And really, when you look at who's in the portal right now, it's, it hasn't been a lot of A-listers. It's been a lot of fringe guys for the most part. So there's been this thought, oh, FSU is going to go grab a safety and a linebacker and a receiver and now maybe another D tackle. But if you look at what's out there, I don't know that there's a lot much better than what's on Florida State's roster, which would justify grabbing somebody else. But what do you think at this point uh, and, and you don't have to get the guys committed, I guess, in the next few days, but everybody's got to be in the portal who wants to transfer in the next few days. How many do you, you know, what do you, what can you update us on in terms of what Florida State is looking at and doing right now? Yeah, I think by Sunday night, somebody's got to enter the portal. Um, I think the priority, obviously, is going to be linebacker for Florida State if they can find a guy who is the right fit for what they want to run you know do they want to run a lot of four two five well then numbers are, are not so difficult to get to but still if you're going to want to play some three linebackers if you're thinking about short yardage goal line situations you're pretty slim on, on guys with significant college experience you know Kalen Deloach Tatum Bethune DJ Lundy um, you know Omar Graham got a little bit last year but that's where losing a, a Brennan Gantt a Stephen Dix it, it really does hurt you just as far as depth your concern over injuries is pretty significant honestly Tom to your point I mean I've reached out to a couple of players just blindly just to see if you get any response hey are you interested in Florida State I'm not hearing a whole lot um there are some guys who are kind of those upper tier types who you know maybe maybe they're looking to go to a different school maybe looking for a different conference in Florida State I'm not hearing a lot of responses as of yet so is this a little bit more slow moving? Could it go a little bit into May? I think so. I, I think the other opportunity that Mike Norvell might have is he might say, I've got some walk-ons on the roster who I might want to reward. You know, is there a, a Preston Daniel, CJ Campbell, Dante Anderson, somebody who is not on scholarship, but has really performed well in the spring. And he says, well, now I've got an extra scholarship if I don't find that linebacker, that safety, that that whoever who just wows me in the portal, some years ago, that, that guy has not come in the portal. Then he just says, well, I've got guys who are working hard on the current roster. I can give them a scholarship. I can give them a reward. And that makes everybody else on the roster feel good about somebody who's earned 
that scholarship. So yeah, I think it's been a little bit more slow moving than we thought, but this is also the, this kind of unusual second window now. So, so we're not really sure what the precedent is with a second window, how it might play out and, and how, how many players might take the chance to jump in. How many coaches might say, Hey, I'm feeling good. How many might say, Hey, I really need something. I'm going to go jump at this guy or that guy. Bob, one of the things we haven't talked about is we is Florida State has a handful. You know, there's not 20 of them, but there's four or five high school kids that did not enroll early. They'll be here over the summer, and then obviously participated in fall camp. Are there any sleepers there? I mean, I know a couple of them were very highly recruited and highly rated, but, but average fan forgets about them, doesn't talk about them because you don't see them. Right, and I think that's the, you know a guy that everybody gets excited about is Blake Nicholson, for example, from California, a linebacker. Is Blake a guy who can step in in late July, practice, say, what, 25, 30 times, and you can put him in in certain packages? I, th I think our publisher, Jerry Cutts, has suggested, okay, you can't give him the full defensive scheme right away, but could he be good in certain packages, certain situations? Can you gradually get him the scheme, you know, kind of feed him a little bit more and more each week. I think there's there's opportunities there for a Blake Nicholson to play. It's not ideal, especially when you're going for an ACC championship. I mean, you don't want to think how much you do, do you have to lean on a true freshman, but I don't think right now in 2023, there are perfect college football rosters outside of, say, a Georgia that's just crazy loaded with talent, and they've got just depth stacked on top of depth. I think you might have to lean on some younger players this year just to make it all work. Well, what we really need uh, on behalf or, or for Mike Norvell, Leonard Hamilton, and Link Jarrett is a, a Deion Sanders type in the portal who's an all-state point guard that's a future Major League Baseball player and NFL player, right? Are there any of those hanging out that, that could play three sports for Florida State, Bob? <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it's been fun watching the portal with uh, with basketball, too, because, you know, I think everybody's looking at that high end prospect and thinking, is, a, is Hunter Dickinson going to leave Michigan and come down to Florida State? And Hunter was a guy who, you know, had visited Florida State back, in, I think, like 20 cycle recruitment. So, but in the end, Florida State's kind of gone, I think, looked at a lot of the selfless role type guys, you know, sort of that, that old school high character gym rat that, that Charlton Young used to always tell us about, right? I, I don't think they're going for the splashy basketball uh, transfer portal guy. I think they're going for the who fits the puzzle that we have. And that's maybe annoyed some of our fans. I think I've heard from a lot that, well, this guy doesn't move the needle. That's not a name or, or a guy from a prominent school. You know, they've landed, you know, one from LaSalle, one from VCU. But if they're the right fit, if they play defense, if they're if they're leaders, they're going to make the program better from day one. So I think there aren't quick fixes in the portal. Everybody's looking for that quick fix. There is no easy button, especially, you know, with, with basketball, I think, in Florida State. And same thing for baseball. I mean, I think we're going to see – I think we're going to see Link Jarrett knows that he's going to have to go big into the portal. He's going to have to go big into the junior college ranks and get some guys with some experience. But that's that's just the reality of the rebuild. You know, the portal's there 
but it's still about finding that guy who is truly, you know, the right fit for your culture, for your program. Hey guys, let's, 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 let's just wish, let's all focus in and let's just wish. And, and Leonard can go get a couple of Trent Forrest and Link can go get a couple of Richie Lewis's and, and we'll go old school in the new environment. How about that? <laughs> I do think I'm, I'm going to move it back to football here. I, I think, and his name escapes me, but the transfer from from the Ivy League who was out last year, the you know a big body that they didn't have, uh, is back, right? Along with uh, Baba Miller, and and both those are not insignificant either one of those. I think the you know what we saw Baba Miller is I think fans feel like he's going to be a five point a game guy, but we all know that the way guys get integrated in the Leonard system, that once he was suspended half the year, he was going to be a non factor last year. I, I think he's. Him coming back is a big deal. But let me go back to, to football. we got plenty of time for that. Rules changes. We talked about these a couple months ago when they were just proposed. But uh, in an effort, uh, I don't know if – well, here's the first question. Do we think that this is truly safety of the players in mind, or is this speeding up the game and, and uh, making the product fit in television windows a little bit more precisely? Are you talking specifically about that first down, keeping the clock moving or? Well, any of the combination of rules yeah. that they, yeah, they, they've all been, uh, the, the PR campaign is it, it's just, there's going to be less, fewer plays in games. And so it's player safety. I, I'm asking you as the cynic here, do you buy that? Or is this really about, you know, the TV networks don't like a three hour and 34 minute football game. How do we get it closer to that NFL product that uh, opens windows every three hours? I think you've hit on it. I mean, honestly, ESPN is going to drive this conversation. CBS is going to drive the discussion of what they want to see, of what, honestly, fans are telling them they want to see or don't. Look at Major League Baseball. I mean, the pitch clock has done wonders for the speed of the game. Fans are thrilled at how fast the game transpires now. And, you know, fans are saying anecdotally, hey, I went to the game. And I got on the bus or I got in my car or I got on the, you know, whatever to get me home. And, and I, I was home 30 or 40 minutes earlier than last year when I used to go to these games. I think fans are saying, you know, my time is valuable and they want these games to move a little quicker. You know, we've talked about targeting and, and these various replays, you know, replays don't need to take nearly as long as they do. Um, I'd love to see a 90 second cap on, on any review, just, Let's keep the game moving. I do think the fans have spoken, and and maybe that's TV being reactionary to the fans, yes. Uh, the answer is simple, Tom. It has nothing to do with safety. <laughs> you know, see, Keith, Keith is from Wildwood. It took him three seconds to utter, the, to get to the punchline there, Bob, but I appreciate it. How many words was in that answer of yours? I mean, if for print, I mean, that was a good answer. Uh, so... For those who don't know what the rules changes are, we, it's been a couple months if you haven't seen. So the first two are uh, not as significant, but you, the same team can no longer call successive timeouts. So when you're icing a kicker and you have three timeouts left, you can't call all three in a row. You can just call one. And now if there's a uh, penalty on the last play of the first or third quarter, instead of having an untimed down, you're just going to roll that into the start of the second or their fourth quarter and play it there. So that's minimal. The biggest, the biggest change is that no longer will the clock stop until the ball is uh, signaled in play by the official again, after a first down, save for the last two minutes of the first half and the, and the ball game. 
I actually like that. And, and I, they, you know, from the research they've done, I think they said it will shave what 10 plays per game out for each team, something like that, eight or 10 plays, or maybe it's eight or 10 plays overall. I forget, but I think it's eight or 10 overall. I think it's eight or 10 overall. And, you know, again, being the old guy, you know, we used to play 10 game seasons. Then we went to 11 game seasons. Now we're at 12 game seasons. So if there is an aspect of player safety, well, eight plays over 12 games is about a game. So if there is, and I don't believe there is, but I could make the argument if I was sitting on that side of the table, you're basically cutting down the exposure for each squad of a game in terms of potential injuries. But I go back to my original statement, my original answer. You can talk about player safety all you want to. This is about speeding up the game, making it enjoyable for viewers. So you got more eyeballs. You can charge more for your commercials. What it could be about is, is the heart of the old guys trying to move the chains and rush to reset the chains and then reset the – do you think maybe maybe that's the health issue we're So what in? you're saying is we needed to have an age limitation on the chain gang. You can't operate the chain gang if you're over 30 years of age because no, you just that can't be, move fast enough. That would be discriminatory, KJ. What I'm saying is in this day and age, why do we have two guys holding two chains? Why are we not doing this differently? But that's a different discussion. Um, <laughs> I, I think you've – you, you've said this before, and, and I'm in agreement. You, you, if you're not going to have a limit on how many challenges and reviews there are in a game, then there needs to be a time limit on each review. And what I would say is, you know, just put a play clock. I mean, Lord knows we have the red hat who comes out on the field during TV breaks, and he puts it up there, and we all know there's three minutes and 28 seconds left. Well, he could go out there on a replay and set the clock at one minute, and if it gets to zero and they haven't figured it out, that's it, save for one one challenge for each coach each game, which is basically, okay, this is the game, so take a couple more minutes to figure out was he in the end zone or not. That would save. The other thing, and I don't feel like this has been talked about, I mean, soccer is continuous action, and we've had sponsor logos and plugs on the top of the screen forever. Why can we not shorten a three-and-a-half-minute TV break to two minutes and then come back and put some more sponsor logos up there or split-screen it or something in that vein? I feel like there's a way here to uh, to make everybody happy, but but I mean maybe not. It's about the dollar. And right, if ESPN's goal or CBS's goal is to say we need to keep this game moving, we want to prevent you from channel surfing from game to game. Then the way to prevent you is to say, hey, we're going to take this thirty second break sponsored by so and so, but we're going to leave it here, and then you have a camera on the huddle. And, and we've seen the NFL do this. We've seen various NFL broadcasters. If this isn't anything that's just crazy out of the box. I think it is, again, about keeping fans' attention specifically on the broadcast, not channel surfing, not getting up to go to the fridge to go grab a drink. It's let's keep everybody's attention right there. But I do think for the fans and the stands, you know, fans and stands should appreciate this too. It's going to appreciate that experience. I mean, how many times have we talked about it too? You see that guy on the field, you know, holding up his sign that says three minutes or whatever. It's that clock that I think drains so incredibly slowly and you're watching it, but the rhythm of the game has just totally fallen apart. It's almost like another timeout is just built into those three timeouts that each team has. It, it kind of just ruins the flow of things to me. So I'm for anything that would speed things up just a little bit. Let's take some of those 
let's call them officiating timeouts, those officiating breaks, let's kind of minimize or reduce those from the game. He is Bob Frant there, Osceola Insider. Bob, we appreciate the insight, and uh, we will chat with you again next week. All right, take care, guys. All right, more Front Row Knowles right after this. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. We welcome you back a few minutes to go. Keith, uh, overall, you okay with the rules change? I like the rules change, Tommy. I just, I, I, I do understand that from a PR standpoint, you put the twist on it. You say it's for player safety, but we need to be real. Uh, and the other part that continues to baffle me, uh, we don't have time to get into it in a great deal, but have you read, read the recent articles coming out of the Pac-12 and the fact that we thought that their television uh, rights deal was going to go down the tubes and now they're talking about it might even be better than the ACC's. How can that happen? Who knows? Who knows? Well, it can happen because the ACC's is a dinosaur. And uh, the, the fact that it was, it, you know, it was signed, the, the longevity of that contract is, is what makes it worse every day. But it um, seemed like such a good idea at the time. Isn't that amazing how things work? Yeah, well, I mean, this, we've talked about that part too. I mean, the, the main point being that if you got a product people aren't interested in, I, you know, whether you're Swafford or somebody else, what kind of deal were you really going to get? So if you right. didn't, if you didn't sign for that length of time, maybe the ACC fractures years ago and FSU folks would say, well, that's a good thing because FSU wouldn't still be in the ACC right now. Right. Instead, as long as the, as long as the league is, is held together, uh, FSU still in it until they find a way out. I, I want to go back to this portal thing with, uh, Joshua Farmer. I mean, I agree he had a great upside. I agree that he was going to play a decent amount of snaps this year. But if you look at the guys that have gone in the portal, certainly the ones since spring practice, which Bob talked about some of them, like Dix and, and Zane Herring and Brendan Gant, not guys that we're going to see the majority of their snaps on offense or defense. I mean, when, when we're saying, but well, that's the loss for special teams, that's a credit to them, but that means that they weren't going to see, you know, they're not the biggest losses overall. I would say this, though. What about Derek McClendon? Just if you look at 2023 versus Joshua Farmer, which is a bigger loss for the upcoming season? Well, in terms of number of snaps, you've got to believe that you were going to need more help at defensive end, that you were going to need help at defensive tackle. So mathematically, you would say he, you know, McClendon was the, the loss. Yeah, that, that's what I think, too, because ever since he's gone, people have been concerned about the depth at the DN spot. And I know Farmer's in the rotation at D-Tackle, but it feels like there's more bodies there that have promising futures. Now, you know, last year, Fabian Lovett was was hurt. Cooper wasn't himself the whole year. I mean, uh, it, it, it injury luck plays a big part. We, forgot, we forget when we look back at 2013, the 2013 team that won a title had basically no injuries, no key exactly. injuries the entire year. The exactly. reason that those three receivers put up the numbers they did is because there wasn't anybody behind them to steal any snaps. They were on the field every play. So, I mean, if I tell you right now that the, the three top D tackles for Florida State, assuming Daryl Jackson gets his waiver, are not going to miss any snaps because they're going to be healthy all year, 
well, then you're not going to worry about Joshua Farmer, right? You're going to feel pretty good about it. But the reality is injuries happen, and that's why we're concerned about it. Well, and I just take the fact that, you know, to whatever degree it involves NIL uh, and, you know, other than football-related things, uh, that's my big worry. I know that's no uh, shock to you and certainly to our listeners, uh, but that's always in the back of my mind. Uh, and, and, and it just does, it causes me pause. It just makes me think for a minute. Well, the portal uh, will close on Sunday night. You don't have to announce a school by then, but uh, you got to be in the portal if you're planning to transfer. So we'll, we'll see how this uh, all works out, regardless of how it works out right now. I mean, barring a catastrophe, uh, which would be 10 key guys entering the portal that you don't want to go. Uh, Florida State is still way ahead in the game of transfer portal over the last three years, uh, even Agreed. with uh, Farmer uh, dipping his toe in that in that portal water. Agreed. Very much agreed. All right. Well, we are finished uh, for this week. And I, well, we didn't mention the NFL draft is this week. Jamie Robinson, anybody else going to get drafted, Keith? You know, I, I don't think so. Uh, I mean, I think there, there may be a flyer in the seventh round. Or was that the third day they call him now? I do think Florida State will have uh, four or five kids that signed the, uh, uh, U, what's it called, UFA, Unrestricted Free Agent Signings. Um, and I, I hope some of those kids get an opportunity because you get in the right place at the right time. You never know what will happen. Yeah, maybe Dylan Gibbons would be the next guy off the board, so to speak, if there was a next. Next year will be a different story because Florida State will have a plethora of guys in there based on uh, what's on that team right now. But we'll worry about that next year. We're out of time. Till next week, he's Keith. I'm Tom. Thanks for tuning in to Front Row Knowles.